Welcome to the Womology Podcast. This is a sacred space to honor your cyclical nature, reconnect with your innate body wisdom and sovereignty, and transform your health. I'm Dana Drehos, and thank you so much for being here. Welcome back to the Womology Podcast. Today we're talking all things vaginal infections and healing with Adrian, aka the Yoni Nutritionist, who you may know on Instagram. Adrian is a certified holistic nutritionist and sexual health advocate that specializes in holistic nutrition and wellness for vaginal and sexual health. She teaches people with vaginas the importance of nutrition and holistic lifestyle practices to maintain their vaginal health and helps them manage and get to the root cause of chronic vaginal infections like yeast infections, bacterial vaginosis, UTIs, candida overgrowth, HPV, and genital herpes. As a passionate sexual health and STI advocate, she helps to empower people in their sexuality to end the shame and stigma of those very common vaginal health issues and help them feel confident in their sex lives again. I learned so much in this episode. Adrienne shared her her personal journey with genital herpes and chronic vaginal infections and how she found healing through holistic nutrition. We also dispel some of the myths around herpes and do a deep dive on what herpes is, how common it is, how it's contracted, and really destigmatize it because so many people are experiencing this and there's so much shame around it because we're just uneducated about it. She gives us nutrition tips for preventing and managing herpes flare-ups and we really go in on why a vegan diet may not the best if you are healing vaginal health issues or just in general. We also touch on the metaphysical aspects of recurring vaginal infections, meaning how does trauma play a role and really recognizing that beyond nutrition, we also have to work with our nervous system to really get to the root of these infections. Before we dive in, I want to mention if you love the conversations on this podcast and the content on the Womology Instagram page. You're going to love my bi-monthly email newsletter. Every new moon and full moon, I send you a newsletter with tips and self-care practices for all things womb health and healing, as well as recommend my favorite products and services, um, and I try to offer discount codes when I can. There's a link in the show notes to sign up for the newsletter if you're interested. And without further ado, here is Adrian, aka the Yoni Nutritionist. Welcome, Adrian, to the Womology Podcast. I'm so excited to have you here today to talk all things vaginal health. How are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Awesome. And where are you at in your cycle today, Adrian? And how are you feeling in that phase and supporting yourself in that phase? Right now, I'm in the luteal phase of my cycle, even though I feel like I'm just in a constant ovulation phase. <laughs> well, that's nice. <laughs> it's fun. But yeah, um, I am going to be probably getting some premenstrual symptoms pretty soon because I am I just looked at my app, my uh, period tracker app, but I'm getting my period in eight days. Mm. So I know it's coming, but oh man, it is like ovulation vibes over here. <laughs> And I'm supporting myself by resting a lot, taking it easy, um, 
trying not to drink as much alcohol or caffeine in this phase and really nourishing my body Mm -hmm. with whole foods in this phase, sleeping Mm -hmm. a lot too. Mm -hmm. Trying to make sure I'm getting enough sleep is the biggest thing for me because I tend to like, well, I'm sure we'll get into this topic, but because I live with herpes in the luteal phase is most of the time when a lot of people experience herpes outbreaks, especially Mm. people who menstruate. So I'm really trying to make sure that I'm taking good care of myself to prevent that from happening in the luteal phase. Mm. Interesting. I did not know that. And yeah, I definitely would love to touch on that later. So for my tea yes. <laughs> in the background, if you can hear it, I got my tea too. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I love that it's ovulation vibes. I'm also in my ovulation phase. So, well, you're not technically in the ovulation phase, but we're feeling the vibes. So I would love to hear more about your personal story, your background with your herpes journey and vaginal health journey and what got you inspired to get into this work. Well, I have struggled with my vaginal health for the majority of my sexually active life, which started at 16 years old. So even in my teens, I was getting recurring yeast infections and um, UTIs mostly um, with with a few bacterial vaginosis infections here and there, which was triggered by, by very specific things like I didn't wash my sex toy properly once, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. But in my early 20s, then I got diagnosed within the same year with both genital herpes and HPV. Mm -hmm. And back then, like this was 20 years ago, and I'm 41 now. And back then, there wasn't a lot of information on this stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So I wasn't really too... I think the HPV was the scariest thing at that time for me because I had to go through all these procedures. And when the doctors diagnose you with HPV with cervical dysplasia and you hear anything of the word cancer, you know, it's just Mm -hmm. like, oh my God. Mm -hmm. Luckily, fast forward 20 years now, I have healed my HPV infection. So I've, I've, that's good news. But Mm -hmm. um, I think what really was the catalyst for me was in my mid thirties, I got really sick. I got candida overgrowth. And this was basically like a yeast infection that took over my entire body. Mm-hmm. It was um, a fungal infection that was not only affecting my vaginal health, but everything. Like I was getting yeast infections once a month. I was getting like chronic sinus infections. I was getting chronic cystic acne. I was getting brain fog there was just something I knew something wasn't right. And it just kept getting worse. And I dealt with this for about a year. Mm -hmm. And I would keep going to my doctor and they would just send me home with medication. And I'm like, but something is wrong. Like, I don't know what's wrong, but something I know intuitively, I feel it. Something isn't right. And my doctor would say, well, we don't know what it is. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I had to kind of be my own health advocate and start doing my own research and figure it all out myself. And I discovered that I had candida overgrowth. I didn't know what that was at the time. And then when I found out that like I could actually heal it by doing a candida diet, I was like, that seems easy in comparison to the suffering that I was going through. And um, I did it and it worked. Within four weeks, all of my symptoms went away. And I was like, what? (laughs) Like, why? What? Like, why isn't any? Why didn't my doctor, A, tell me about this? Mm -hmm. B, 
why doesn't anybody talk about this? Like, how does no one know about this? And this was, of course, before Instagram and all that stuff. So like, Mm -hmm. the resources we have accessible to us now are a lot different. But back then, I had to figure all of this stuff out on my own. So, Mm -hmm. you know, when I was going through this candida overgrowth, it was really hard. Like I was physically suffering, but it started to affect my relationship because I couldn't have sex with my partner. Mm-hmm. Every time I ha- would have sex, it seemed like it would trigger an infection. And it was just, it really started to impact the quality of my life. And when I healed it, like when I did this diet and it worked, I quit my corporate, I was in corporate sales and executive administration for like 10 years. Mm-hmm. So I quit my corporate corporate career and went back to school to study holistic nutrition so that I could help people who are going through all of these things. Cause I'm like, I felt so alone mm-hmm. like with the yeast infections, with the UTIs, the BV, the herpes, the HPV. I'm like, Oh my God, am I the only one that's dealing with all of this? Like, this is, I just, I wanted a new vagina. You know? <laughs> yeah. I was just like suffering. Yeah. But ironically, when I went to school to study holistic nutrition, I was like 27 out of 10 stressed. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started getting recurring herpes outbreaks, mm-hmm. like once a month, sometimes twice a month. And it, then it just seemed to be back to back for three years straight. And that was like, that was really, really hard to go through because it really affected my mental health, my self-confidence. I never had issues with herpes outbreaks really before, mm-hmm. but this was like, I, I never thought it was going to get better. And after school, I was able to take some time. And during school, I was learning like how to manage all of this stuff. And I was able to start managing my outbreaks and they started getting better over time as well as my HPV infection. And I started getting normal pap smears over time when the past 20 years, I'd be dealing with the roller coaster of abnormal, normal pap smears, Mm -hmm. colposcopies, the LEAP procedure. I've been through it all. (laughs) Yeah. I'm so used to going to the doctor and getting poked and prodded and put things putting like it doesn't even phase me anymore because I'm I've just been through it so much. But now I rarely get infections anymore. I rarely get yeast infections anymore. I sometimes get herpes outbreaks if I'm stressed, but those are only very specific instances of when I know that I'm run down, not taking care of myself when I'm stressed out. But otherwise. And my pap smears have been normal over the past three years. So what I'm doing is working mm-hmm. and I am living proof of that. And now I'm helping people who are experiencing these chronic vaginal infections teach. I'm, I'm helping them to heal these infections by teaching them exactly what to do and how to do it the same way that I did. Amazing. <laughs> the long <sighs> answer. <laughs> no, it's, it's so good to hear the journey and I resonate a lot with what you're saying. And it's crazy how even still today, I feel like I was having recurring yeast infections just a year or two ago. And I went to the doctor and they never said anything to me about diet or lifestyle or anything like that. And I luckily, like I already kind of knew that, but they were still, you know, just trying to push the antibiotics and things like that. Um, so yeah, it's so crazy. <laughs> it is crazy. I mean, we need the medicate. Like I believe I'm a holistic nutritionist and I believe in healing things 
as naturally as possible. It's more managing and preventing them from happening is, is the work that I do right. because mm-hmm. I still believe that we need medication to help us treat the symptoms yeah. and get rid of an infection. But we also need a holistic approach in combination with a, mm-hmm. a Western medicine medical approach because the holistic approach will help to manage and prevent those infections from coming back. Yeah. But often we need to treat them with medication, but it's, it's hard when you go to the, like, we're all accustomed to going to the doctor when we get an infection or when we get sick. And of course, all they do is prescribe medication, which helps treat the symptoms. Of course we need, but we, that it doesn't get to the root cause. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And when these things keep coming back, like it's, it's a, sign that it just goes much deeper than the actual issue itself. And it always starts in the gut. Yep. Yeah. That's why you're, that's why diet is so important. And that's why I got into this work to teach people here's, here's the starting point of what to do and how to do it. Cause otherwise it's hard to figure all this stuff out on your own. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm curious, you mentioned a bit before about how, it was getting kind of difficult with your relationship with your partner. What was your journey in terms of like your, your confidence around your sexuality and what helped you to start to feel more empowered and confident again in that and be able to, you know, discuss these things with new partners? I was always pretty confident, you know, before I went through that recurring outbreak phase, I I didn't really think of it as that much of a big deal Mm -hmm. um, back then, because I wasn't really dealing with any, it wasn't really a problem in my life. My partners were okay with it. I was disclosing to them fine. Mm -hmm. Like everything was fine until I went through that recurring outbreak phase. And it really started affecting my mental health more than anything. I mean, physically, Mm -hmm. yes, it was uncomfortable, but Mentally, it was a struggle because I started feeling a lot of shame. I started feeling really insecure within myself and my body and my sexuality. Mm-hmm. And it was really hard. I think that was the hardest part. But when I started to learn more about herpes and how it works in the body, and when I started learning how to manage my outbreaks is when I started to become more confident because mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I'm doing all of the things that I can to manage this. It's working. Mm -hmm. Also, when I started doing this work as the Oni nutritionist and started realizing just how many people live with herpes and how common it is and how I'm not alone in this, that also really helped a lot. So now it's just like, I've, I've had so much, so many experiences with partners who haven't cared that it's just like, you know, disclosure conversations always suck. I still dread them because you just never know sometimes who's going to be okay with it and who isn't. But I know the people who aren't going to be okay with it. I'm just like, well, the next one will be. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Um, but it really did. I really had to become confident within myself with it, if, you know, to be confident disclosing to be confident and having sex with partners and not worrying about the transmission. Mm -hmm. And that was really learning about it, learning how to manage it in my body and being a part of a community of other HSV positive people that were really empowering and just knowing that I wasn't alone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I I know I've heard from so many people kind of like the shame and embarrassment that they feel around it. 
because of that lack of education. So let's give some education. I would love for you to talk about like what is herpes and how common is it and how does it work in the body? How do we contract it and any myths maybe that you would like to bust around it? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, here we go. So herpes. Herpes is, there's a bunch of different herpes viruses in the family of herpes viruses. Some of them you may know that are are chicken pox and shingles, Mm. Epstein-Barr virus, like there's a whole bunch. But then there is HSV-1 and HSV-2. HSV-1 is also commonly known as your common cold sore. So it's oral herpes. Cold sores are herpes. Mm-hmm. HSV-1 can also be transmitted genitally. So people who have cold sores, they go down on somebody, they can transmit their oral to genital mm-hmm. herpes. <clears throat> In that case, it's a sexually transmitted infection. Most of the time when somebody has an oral cold sore, oral herpes, it's usually not sexually transmitted. I mean, a lot of people get it from when they're kids, they're kissing their parents, their parents didn't realize back then that the cold sore was her. So a lot of the time, the oral cold sore isn't sexually transmitted, but then it can be sexually transmitted to somebody's genitals and people don't realize that. Mm. Now, more people are starting to get HSV-1 genitally. And one in four people have HSV-1, whether it's oral or genital. Then there's HSV-2, which is primarily genital herpes. And that's a sexually transmitted infection, transmitted genital to genital. Rarely is HSV-2 transmitted orally. So HSV-1 can be both oral and genital. HSV-2 is technically primarily genital. Herpes, HSV-1 and HSV-2 is a virus and it's a virus of the nervous system. So with HSV-1, when it's oral, it lies dormant in the nerves in like underneath the cheekbone by the ear and the cheekbone. And with HSV-2, it lies in the nerves at the base of the spine. And when it's triggered, either by stress or lack of sleep or not taking care of yourself or sometimes diet, alcohol, too much caffeine, there's lots of different triggers. It comes up to the surface of the skin. And then it's transmitted via skin-to-skin contact. You hear of some myths that herpes can be transmitted via a toilet seat I've heard of that happening, but I think it's extremely rare because the herpes virus doesn't last very long on surfaces. It's primarily skin to skin transmission. Mm -hmm. What is a bit of a, what makes the herpes virus a bit of a mystery is that you can transmit or people can contract or people can transmit herpes without an active outbreak being present. Mm. And how that works is if somebody lives with the herpes virus in their body, it's usually dormant, lying dormant. Herpes isn't active all the time. Like herpes will go to sleep in the body, like in the nervous system until it's activated or triggered by those triggers that I mentioned before. But sometimes there's something called viral shedding. And that's when your body is shedding the cells of the herpes virus. And sometimes it's asymptomatic. So you don't know that it's happening, but sometimes there are some low key symptoms that you probably wouldn't even know that are connected to herpes. And I'll talk about those in a bit, but 
that's also when the herpes virus is transmissible. And I think that that's when that's most commonly how it's transmitted. Because if somebody has an outbreak, like why would you want to have sex? I mean, some people do. Some people have sex with an active outbreak for, I mean, sometimes they don't even realize it's herpes. Sometimes they do and they don't care. But most of the time it's asymptomatic and they're shedding the virus and they don't know. Mm. The thing is with HSV2, particularly one in five people live with HSV2, but most of the time it's asymptomatic. And a lot of people don't know that they have it because herpes is not part of normal STI tests. People don't know that you have to ask separately for it. So a lot of people live with herpes who don't even realize it. They've never had an outbreak, but they live with the virus in the system, in their bodies mm. and don't even know. And then they're going through this viral shedding, not even realizing. And then, so it's really, it really is a mystery virus sometimes because you can, obviously when you have an active outbreak, that's when it's most transmissible but you can also transmit it when you don't have an active outbreak. And this is really important to learn about because we weren't taught this stuff properly in school. We were just taught to fear it, which is where the yeah. stigma comes from. Mm -hmm. And I think the stigma is worse than the actual virus. Like herpes is a pain in the ass. Like nobody wants mm -hmm. herpes, obviously, but it's not a life-threatening, serious health concern. And a lot of the times doctors don't really see it as a big deal because of that. And the reason why herpes tests aren't on STI panels tests is because the inaccuracy of the results, there's a lot of false positives and false negatives, which is really unfortunate and really unfair, you yeah. know, because like I said, herpes is so much stigma around it, but so many people, more people than we know have herpes and don't realize it. Mm -hmm. So it's very, it's a very common virus. It's very manageable. Like you can manage herpes outbreaks with your diet, with supplements and with antiviral medication and really just taking care of yourself. Mm -hmm. It's just the stigma that's the problem. And the stigma yeah. just comes from the sexual transmission part because you don't, you know, when you see someone with cold sores, you don't, that's not as heavily stigmatized as the sexually transmitted herpes. It's really, it's, it really, yep. They're the same virus. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's so crazy. But a lot of one, one huge myth is people, so many people automatically assume that if you sleep with somebody that has herpes, you're going to get it. And that's not true. Absolutely not true. Like I've lived with herpes, genital herpes, HSV2 for over 20 years, and I've never given it to a partner as, as far as I know. Mm-hmm. And I've had lots of unprotected sex with partners and lots of long-term partners, casual partners. So mm -hmm. it's not automatic transmission. If you sleep with somebody that has herpes, it's not, it doesn't mean that you're going to get it <laughs> or it doesn't mean that you're going to give it to somebody, which a lot of people stress out about. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really just educating yourself about herpes, knowing how it works, recognizing how it works in your body. If somebody listening lives with herpes and learning how to manage it. Mm -hmm. Wow. Uh, thank you so much. Everything you just said was new information to me. So I learned a lot in everything that you just said, especially the part about 
how herpes is not on the, you know, regular STI panel. I'm like, oh shit. Okay. Yeah. A lot of people don't know that you have to ask separately for it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I would love to dive into then what are some of your nutrition tips around managing, um, I guess, is it, would it be like managing the prevention of flare-ups or is it like when the flare-ups actually happen, you can do something to manage that as well? Both. Or both. Yeah. Yeah. Both. And this applies to both prevention and healing an outbreak. Okay. So <clears throat> inflammatory foods are the worst. So like inflammation in the body can weaken your immune system. So you want to try to avoid anything like gluten, dairy, sugar, sugar, especially is the worst, <laughs> mm. the worst. Um, you want to try to avoid those as much as possible, or just enjoy them in moderation because yeah, chronic inflammation over time can weaken and suppress the immune system, triggering an outbreak. Mm -hmm. um, also foods that are high in the amino acid called arginine. So a lot of foods contain arginine, but you want to make sure that you have an, a good ratio of ar arginine to lysine. Just think about lysine is also an amino acid, but lysine is the good one. Arginine is the bad one. Arginine can trigger flare-ups. Lysine can prevent flare-ups. Almost all food, well, all foods have a balance of arginine to lysine, but you want to make sure that you are understanding what foods have a higher ratio of arginine and to avoid those foods. And those, some of those foods, for example, are chocolate, <laughs> nuts and seeds, mm. oats. Does corn. that include, does that include like a hundred percent dark chocolate? Yeah. <laughs> no, I know. I, I eat but that every day. People, so do I, so do I, but some people aren't sensitive to chocolate. Like I can eat I, I eat a little bit of dark chocolate every day. I try not to overdo it, but I'm not mm -hmm. sensitive to foods. Mm -hmm. um, some people are. Some people get really triggered by peanut butter. Mm -hmm. I've heard of like puff pastry. <laughs> I've heard of all kinds of random weird things that uh -huh. can trigger outbreaks. Alcohol, too much caffeine, of course, can really negatively impact your hormones, especially the stress hormones. Mm -hmm. So if you do live with herpes, you want to be mindful of these things. But again, some people, they're not affected by diet, but some people are. Mm -hmm. So like, for example, when I get an outbreak, I cut out everything bad. No, no inflammatory foods, only whole foods that are natural and immune boosting. No chocolate, no nuts, no alcohol, no coffee during the week while I'm healing my outbreak. Um, but if I don't have an outbreak, I enjoy those things in moderation. <laughs> you know, I love, don't get me wrong. I love wine and I love pizza. And sometimes I'll just crush an entire bottle of wine and a pizza in a night. I'm not going to lie, but yep. I'm okay. Like I don't, that doesn't trigger outbreaks for me, but for some people it does. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then there are specific supplements that you can take like lysine, for example, because Sometimes um, you don't know if the ratio of ar arginine to lysine in foods have an, like an equal, sometimes it's higher in arginine. So you can balance it out with taking lysine supplements mm -hmm. as well as immune boosting supplements. And I work with a couple of different supplement companies that are specific for herpes mm -hmm. that are really good. Like Simplex, for example, 
and I have discount codes if anybody wants. <laughs> like, awesome. yeah, <clears throat> all of those things are really important. And it's also making sure that you are reducing stress, getting enough sleep, and like really taking care of yourself. Prioritizing my self-care was the biggest part of my healing journey, especially when I was going through that recurring outbreak phase. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Thank you so much. And can you talk more? I know you've shared a bit about this on your page before around vegan diets and why they might might not be the best for everyone when it comes to this. <laughs> well, vegan diets, I mean, it really doesn't work for everybody. Mm-hmm. I have myself, I was, uh, I tried going vegan a couple of years ago for a while and it made me sick. Mm-hmm. It worked in the environment and climate that I was in at the time. I was in Nicaragua actually, and I was thriving as a vegan in a climate that was warm and had all kinds of fresh foods that were local and stuff like that. But when I came back to Canada after that, because that's where I'm from, I got so sick and it was in the winter time and I just could not kick it. I was getting like, that's when I was getting recurring herpes outbreaks. I started getting weird. Like I got it on my finger. I got it on my face. Like it was just weird things were happening mm-hmm. in my body. And it, I when I stopped, when I started reintroducing meat again, I started getting better. Mm-hmm. And that's why I've been kind of going on a bit of a, <laughs> I went on a bit of a tangent a couple months ago on my Instagram saying that vegan diets don't work for everybody because I have had so many people reach out to me, most of who are like, who are struggling with their vaginal health, most of who started when they went vegan. Mm-hmm. And the problem is a lot of people switch to a vegan diet for all of the right reasons. And the intention is there. Like it's, I get it the animals, the climate, the environment, all those things. Health for some people, it's for health reasons. But um, a lot of people don't know how to eat properly as a vegan because you really also have to supplement. You have to supplement with the all of the nutrients that you're missing from not eating meat. And a lot of people switch to veganism and they don't know how to eat and it messes their health up. And they are struggling with chronic health issues, chronic infections, vaginal infections. And then they come to me asking for help. But it really upsets me when I I see the very, I'm going to say the passionate vegan activists, Mm -hmm, (laughs) I'll mm -hmm. call them. They are like vegan activists and they're pretty intense and passionate about it. And I understand why, but like, those are the ones who are almost like attacking people for not going vegan and coming onto my Instagram and my page, like basically like saying the most horrible (laughs) things to me and posting the most rude comments. Yeah. And it's, and like really um, insisting that everybody needs to be on a vegan diet. And it's so dangerous because you have to understand, you can't just recommend a vegan diet to everybody unless you know somebody's health history. It's Mm -hmm. actually dangerous because it can affect people's health in a negative way. And it's really upsetting when I get these comments because like a lot of these people claim to be spiritual and yogis and like, you know, woke and all this bullshit. And I'm like, you cannot say those things unless you are a nutritionist or a dietitian and you are, you've gone to school for this and you are trained, do not come to me and start preaching a vegan diet to me because you're going to get shut down. 
because it's not a vegan shut a vegan diet isn't for everybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some for some people it works, and it depends on so many factors. But for uh, most people, it doesn't work. Even one of my teachers in my holistic nutrition school, he was like, I don't, vegan diets don't work. Mm-hmm. I will not help people who is a vegan because it's just, it, um, if they're experiencing chronic health issues and they're a vegan, it's so hard to right. help them because again, it's all, everything chronic starts in the gut. And if you are a vegan, it can be messing up your gut health because you're missing a lot of nutrients. Mm-hmm. unless you're supplementing, like I said earlier. So yeah. Yeah. That's how I know that I could probably, it's a very controversial topic and I get a lot of hate for it when I talk about it, but it's the truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, and it's been my experience and the, I see it every day. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, no, you're, you're so safe on this podcast to talk about it. Cause like okay. literally this is what I talk about with most of my guests and I've shared my story before too. I used to be that passionate asshole vegan. Sorry, not asshole, but like I'm calling myself that because I, you know, I would go on the Instagram pages of people who were saying vegan isn't good or whatever and say my piece and thought I was, I really thought I was doing the right thing because you get so brainwashed and I did get a nutrition certification. I didn't realize when I when I like signed up for this specific certification that it was heavily biased towards plant-based vegan diets. And like, so all of the materials that we had to read was like building the case for why vegan was the best diet. And they had all this research and like studies and everything that, that really um, seemed to tell the story. And then you start, you know, following other people online who are reinforcing the beliefs that you already have and like giving you all this ammo of like why um, vegan is the best and whatever. And they tell you that like, yeah, everyone can be healthy on a plant-based diet, et cetera, et cetera. So I really felt that was the case. And yet my reality was telling such a different story because I was trying to work with clients as a nutritionist and a lot of the people coming to me and and I was also very um, specifically focused on like hormone health, which is so ironic. And so people were coming to me with like period problems and stuff. And I'd be like, okay, like tell me about your diet. And it would be a very like quote healthy plant-based diet or even vegan, vegetarian, whatever. And I'm, I'd be like, well, shit, I don't know what to tell them. Like they're, they're, eating right as far as I know um, but they're still having these problems and meanwhile I also was still having these problems and like eating that way thinking I'm doing the right thing um, and yeah it wasn't until I started seeing some people on Instagram talking more about like how they were vegan and then they switched back to animal base and it healed their you know hormone health problems and everything that I was like okay. And I really resisted it for a while. It took me probably a year of seeing these people talk about it. And I still was very, you know, suspicious. And then eventually I came back over to the light and was like, okay. (laughs) And that, and my yeast infections were the absolute worst when I was, it was, I just got my IUD taken out finally. Um, 
and also was vegan for, I think, a year. And I also uh, was in a stressful situation where I like moved uh, from, I was living in Vietnam for a while and then I had to move back to the US and it was all very stressful. And so, yeah, I was having BV and chronic yeast infections and it wasn't until I started switching my diet back to incorporating, um, you know, healthy animal products that things change. So yeah, totally get it. Like you're safe on this podcast to share that. And my listeners, um, get it too. So that's such an incredible story and, and testimonial to like this, when you're, when you're struggling with chronic health issues, whether they be vaginal health, anything, it's so important. Your diet is like so key. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So p- important. And I think people often leave that to the very last resort because your diet, I mean, it's really hard for people to change. Yeah. Especially because unless you've like gone to school and studied nutrition, like how, where do you start? You know, mm-hmm. there's so much conflicting information online. Like, do you do paleo, keto, vegan, Mm -hmm. like what do you, Mm -hmm. it's so hard to know where to start. And that's why it's so important to work with a nutritionist like us who can give you the guidance Mm -hmm. to know exactly where to start, what to do, how to do it for that specific, especially vaginal health issues, because like the gap between the Western medicine and the holistic way is so huge. Mm -hmm. And there's it's just like, there's so many emotions loaded on top of all of this stuff. Yeah. It's yeah. it's not just, it's not just like, oh, here's a prescription, take the medication and then here you go. It's like, well, fuck, like my relationships are suffering. I'm, I'm feeling really insecure. My self-confidence is, you know, plummeted. Like I feel like shit yeah. about myself and in my body. And then people start hating their vaginas and like their sexuality and it starts becoming, yeah, it just kind of dims their light, you know? Yeah, totally. And I think the hardest part of, you know, switching my diet was that feeling of like embarrassment around, I didn't want to be wrong because I had preached, you know, the benefits of the vegan diet for a few years and like had convinced like my mom to go vegan and like, you know, was like convincing all these people. And then it was like, oh shit, actually forget everything I just said. I was wrong. (laughs) And uh, that's, you know, a hard part too, that I think holds a lot of people back from. And and I just kind of said to myself, like, do I want to be right? Or do I want to feel better? You know, I love that. I love that. Like put my pride away and just actually do what would, you know, actually help me. (laughs) Did you ever feel guilty? Like, oh yeah. You mean like when I started eating meat again? Yeah. That was definitely the first, you know, couple of meals. It was like so much shame. Um, and just thinking about all those dang documentaries I watched and Mm, yeah. But I don't know, I I got over it once I started feeling better and was like, okay, well, at least I'm going to commit to only buying, you know, like organic and pasture raised and, you know, we happy me, happy me. Yeah. It's like, we can only do the best we can and we can't control these massive systems, you know, and yeah, 
Yeah. It was the same thing with my, I was working with an assistant for a year, over a year. And every time we had, and she was vegan. And every time we had a conversation, she was sick. She was feeling there was something wrong. Mm-hmm. And I was like, girl, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to preach that. Then that would be kind of going against everything that I just said. Cause I don't want to start preaching. Oh, you shouldn't be, you should eat meat, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, I just want to like, I'm, she wasn't a nutritionist. She was like, um, just kind of self-taught learning about nutrition and stuff and vegan diets and stuff. And I was like, listen, I just want to offer you an alternative approach or an alternative opinion, because like, I see this in my work every day and I talk to you once a week. And every time I talk to you, you're sick Mm -hmm. and like clearly with candida. And she Mm -hmm. knew that she had candida overgrowth. Like I had once. And I was like, what about like (laughs) it was so hard it was so hard for me to talk to her sometimes because I saw her suffering and I was just like I wish I could help you but I can't Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and she tried to work with like vegan holistic nutritionists and coaches and stuff like that but I I it wasn't working Mm -hmm. for her and I was just like okay girl you're on your own path and your own journey but oh my god (laughs) yeah yeah, but it's hard. It's so hard. Yeah, I I do have vegan clients who I have helped with candida, and it is possible to do a candida diet as a vegan, but it's extremely challenging because mm-hmm. you're extremely restricted. Mm-hmm. And you know, I want to be able to help everybody that I can, but it's really challenging to help people who who just won't who, who aren't open to that. And if they're so sad in their ways, it's really hard Mm -hmm. (laughs) to help those people sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. It's possible, Um, but it's hard. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So we've mentioned a couple different terms here, like candida overgrowth and yeast infections and bacterial vaginosis. Are these, are these three things like kind of the same thing or are they all different. So yeast and BV can often feel the same, but they're very different Mm -hmm. because a yeast infection is a fungal infection. So like Mm -hmm. think of fungus mold, (laughs) you know, Um, and BV is bacterial vaginosis. So it's a bacterial infection Mm -hmm. that is triggered by an imbalance of vaginal pH levels. Mm -hmm. And then, so our vaginal, we have a microbiome inside of our vagina and it's similar to our gut microbiome, which thousands of bacteria and different things live. Um, and they're connected, of course. Mm-hmm. So bacterial vaginosis is a bacterial infection uh, in the vagina, which usually requires antibiotics to treat it. Mm-hmm. Yeast infections require antifungals mm-hmm. to treat it. So that's, that's the difference. A UTI is a urinary tract infection, which is an um, infection of either their urethra, so like the where the pee comes out, or the bladder, bladder infection, Mm -hmm. and that's a bacterial infection as well, also treated by antibiotics. But BV and yeast symptoms are kind of same, same but different. If you've ever been (laughs) to Asia, you know that term. They're similar but different because they often feel the same. You've got the inflammation, the redness, burning, itching. The difference between the two infections are primarily the odor and the discharge. Mm. Yeasty 
discharge is like cottage cheesy white and it smells like sourdough bread. Like it smells like bread, <laughs> yeast, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, bacterial vaginosis is ca- is very specific. It's like kind of fishy. It can be pungent. It can be metallic. It's just a very distinct, different odor. Mm-hmm. And often the discharge is either liquidy and watery or like gray, thick and lotiony. Mm. Um, so they do feel the same sometimes, but it is characterized by odor and discharge is where you know the differences. Mm-hmm. U- UTIs are a bit different because it just like burns when you pee. Mm-hmm. It's it's in your urethra, which is a different hole. Mm-hmm. The yeast and the BV are inside of your vagina. Yeah. Yeah. And both yeast and BV, are they both like itchy and like red irritation? Itchy, mm-hmm. red, inflamed, angry, mm-hmm. irritated, mm-hmm. burning. Yeah. Um, have you ever watched the show Big Mouth? No, I haven't, but I've heard so much about it. You would love it. I feel like I just like thought of a specific episode when you said angry that I'm like, oh, (laughs) you would love this. I'll send it to you. Okay. (laughs) Or just look it up on Netflix. Yeah. It's so funny. It's an adult cartoon and it kind of makes fun of all of these things, but in a really tasteful and thoughtful way. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) And so you mentioned Uh, in the beginning, how in the luteal phase, you might be more likely to have an outbreak. I'm wondering if it's similar with BV and yeast infections, like are there certain times in your cycle where you're more vulnerable? um, And why is that? Yes, definitely. It's all of the infections, UTIs, BV, yeast, and herpes outbreaks, even maybe some genital warts with HPV. Um, And that's because of the hormone changes that goes on in the body during the luteal phase between ovulation and then the menstruation. There's a lot of hormone changes going on, spike in estrogen drop. And this can cause a lot of stress in the body, all of these hormonal changes. Mm -hmm. And if you're not really understanding how to live cyclically, because like this is something we should have been taught in school. Yep. (laughs) And not, you know, you don't really know how to, identify the different phases of your cycles and nourish your body during those cycles, it can, it can be very stressful on the body. Mm -hmm. So like if you're out in your luteal phase, if you're out partying and you're drinking a lot of alcohol and you're eating a lot of shit, like that leaves you more prone, susceptible to infections because it's causing inflammation on your body, which your body's already inflamed and it weakens your immune system throws your blood sugar off balance, all of the things that are basically triggering vaginal infections. Yeah. And with herpes too, because it's a a virus of the nervous system, that stress will, of course, stress is the number one trigger of all of these infections. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the luteal phase is really the most key phase, if especially if you are getting infections around your cycle, like right before your period, it's really time to really slow down during that phase and prioritize like nourishing your body with whole foods, resting, slowing it down, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, even with your workouts, like really doing long and low and slow yoga walks in nature. Like you don't have to kill it with the hit classes. Like yeah. it's really important to learn that too. Cause that can also cause a lot of stress on your body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. 
with the nervous system thing, I'm curious. I don't know if this is like within your area of expertise, but it kind of makes me think about trauma. And, you know, we hear a lot now these days about nervous system regulation and polyvagal theory. Like, does any of that kind of come into play with, with recurring infections? Oh my God. I'm so glad you asked. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'll give you an example. I am a child of divorce and mm-hmm. an, I would say emotionally, I was, I was very emotionally neglected as a child and I was an only child in an abusive home mm-hmm. and I moved around a lot. Um, because of my parents and, you know, one parent, one weekend, the next parent, the other week, I didn't feel safe. Both at both homes, trauma. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Long-term chronic trauma survival mode as a kid having no idea. Anyways, Mm -hmm. fast forward to me now as a 41 year old adult, anything like a move is like the death for me. Mm -hmm. It is like a death. It triggers my nervous system so much. And I like, I usually will get an outbreak, herpes mm-hmm. outbreak, if I'm moving. If I'm going through any kind of breakup or like emotional or any kind of stress in my home environment, outbreak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If I'm like I'm feeling uprooted at all, like if even when I was traveling a lot, like I was doing the digital nomad thing for a few years, outbreaks. Mm. So, you know, a lot of people that I work with too have experienced some kind of trauma like this, maybe sexual trauma or like sexual abuse, any form of neglect, emotional trauma, like abuse, physical trauma, anything. You know, there's this book called The Body Keeps the Score. Mm-hmm. And it really is true. Like our our this trauma is, especially if it's long-term in our developmental years, your body can hold on. It can like be imprinted in your body. Your nervous system remembers your subconscious remembers. And then it can come up as an adult in with chronic infections, especially vaginal infections, because there's such a huge like metaphysical aspect to it too. It's like energetic and emotional because like our vagina, like whenever I get an outbreak, it's like my body is protecting me. It's like cockblocking me from having sex. Because <laughs> yes. It's like, no, nope, you're not. No, nope, we're not doing this right now. No, nope, we don't like this person. No, we don't like the situation. You know, it's like, okay, instead of, I used to feel really ashamed and like get really down and be really hard on myself when I would get any kind of vaginal infection and stress out a lot about it. But I'm now recognizing it as my body's signal to be like, okay, nope, not right now. I need to slow down. Yeah. You know, it's um when you can kind of get in touch with your body in that way and understand that it's more than just the physical, physiological stuff. It's also metaphysical too. And it's super woo woo, but you know, I'm a holistic nutritionist and I believe in that because I've experienced it firsthand. If you told me this when I was in my corporate years, I would have thought I was, you know, full, I would have thought you're full of shit, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I really do. Like I've experienced it and I've seen it with thousands yeah. of people that I work with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's, I've read about, like, it's so interesting to learn about this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. Thank you so much for sharing everything today. I wanted to give you a chance to talk about how people can work with you, any offers that you have um, going on now that you're excited about. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so many. Um, 
the best place to start with working with me is connecting with me on Instagram at Yoni Nutritionist, all one word. That's my community of people and the central hub of communications where I have like over 660 something posts of like super valuable information. And I talk about things in a friendly and easy to understand, sometimes funny and sometimes sexy way. (laughs) Yes. Um, And I do a lot of reels and posts and stories and um, have an amazing community of people there that are like really high quality. It's great. So I also have um, a website, yodinutritionist.com and I'm on TikTok and I'm on YouTube and Facebook and I have Facebook support groups for herpes and so many, like so many things I have, Mm -hmm. but the, the best place to connect with me to start is on Instagram. And I have four different online programs which um, help you get rid of yeast infections, UTIs, BV, herpes, and HPV. It basically, they I, I wrote these guides and online programs to give people the tools and knowledge to know where to start on their healing journey and what to do and how to do it on their own. So it's self, self-guided, but I also work one-on-one with people when they need coaching and they value support if they're you know, struggling with this stuff and they're struggling to change their diet and they need help as they're going through it. That's where I offer coaching. And I offer like I'll do once a year in January, I do a group coaching candida diet, which is fun mm-hmm. with a group of people that are doing it too. And I also offer like private VIP, like one-on-one coaching for people who really want to work with me and need the support. And we work together for two months to get you on track. And I'm working on um, a workshop right now as well, which hopefully will be out by the end of the year. And that's it. Awesome. That's it. Awesome. (laughs) Amazing. Just a few things. (laughs) Just a few. Yeah, no big deal. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Well, yeah, to everyone listening, I highly recommend you guys go check Adrian out at Yoni Nutritionist on Instagram. It's really, really great content. And I've learned so much even just from this conversation here. So thank you so much again. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. If you desire to continue this journey and learn more about your body, I invite you to follow our Instagram page at womb.ology. Please help get this information to more people who menstruate by sharing this podcast on your social media and tagging us. I greatly appreciate you. Have a peaceful week.